Welcome to the Unplugged Podcast with Dev Ozarko, episode number nine. Hi there, and welcome to the Unplugged Podcast, where we unplug from status quo and shift the paradigm from head to heart by co-creating a more passionate, compassionate, loving, and interconnected world. And crushing the status quo paradigm with another amazing interview this week, it is I, your eager host, Debo Zarco. And when I'm not recording awesome interviews for your listening pleasure, you can find me writing at my cyber home located at debozarco.com, where you can sign up for weekly updates and information that I send out to the growing collective of paradigm shifters, which I'm hoping includes you. So what is it that I write? Well, currently I'm writing blog posts for my website as well as other well-known sites out there in the blogosphere. And if you've been a regular listener, you may have heard some innuendos about a book that I'm also writing. And this book is going to complement the podcast or vice versa. Um, as it's going to be a collection of inspirational insight and interviews from well-known paradigm shifters with a deep connection to their life purpose. And the reason for this book? Well, it's being written to inspire the, uh, the memory of connection to your own life purpose. That memory that may have just been short-circuited by the, the fear of authentic expression that's so prevalent in today's culture. Because you, yes you, are totally unique, totally awesome, and totally necessary. That's it. It's that simple. Remember that. And don't let the inner critic tell you otherwise. And if you've been drawn to this podcast, there's a reason for it. It's because something resonates within you that, that uh, jives with the message that's being transmitted through this medium. And if you break that down a little more, what it means is that you're being called to become one of the growing revolutionaries in the paradigm shift that is quietly underway. So really, all, it is, all it's about is living your unique purpose and expressing your true authentic self. And that's what it's all about. That's what shifting the paradigm is all about. It's about remembering your essence and breaking free from the, the confines of this crazy backwards culture of disconnect. And that's what it takes to change the world into something amazing and beautiful. So if you know anyone who may need a little inspirational nudge to kickstart their own inner flame, please feel free to be liberal and share this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, and from my website at devilsarco.com. And together, let's create a better world. Because I truly believe in my heart that it is possible and that I will see it in my lifetime, which means you will as well. On that note, now that we're deep in the throes of the holiday season, I want to send a gigantic shout out to all of you listening out there in Cyberland. Each week, I'm getting wonderful emails from people, including a new listener today, 
uh, Gary, who sent me a quick note to say that he just downloaded the initial podcast and then hit the trails with his dogs as he listened along. And his message ended with these words, great podcast, looking forward to listening to all of them. So thank you, Gary. It's simple feedback like this that inspires me to keep on doing what I'm doing. And please keep on listening, commenting, and also, this is for you. Remember, I, I'm creating this because I've been guided to this purpose, but ultimately, it's a purpose that's based on the foundation of service. So I'm, I've created this podcast, all of this great information, all of these wonderful people that I'm interviewing, it's for you. So if there's anyone you'd like to hear an interview from, please don't be shy. Just send me a note at Deb, so D-E-B at debozarko.com. So D-E-B-O-Z-A-R-K-O.com. And just send your request and I'll do my best to make it happen. You know, some people are a little more challenging to access, but I have persistence on my side. So this is a great segue into the introduction of today's guest interview. Today, we look through the lens of compassion with award-winning, internationally known investigative photographer, Joanne MacArthur. And to be perfectly honest, I actually don't even know where to begin with Joanne's intro because she's done so much already in her very purpose-driven life. And this is a woman who still has a lot of years left. So I'm really excited that I caught her like at the, uh, like when her career is on a major upswing. At an early age, Joanne knew that photography was in her soul. Also in her soul, though, was her deep love for animals. And she was first introduced to her passion for animals when she started walking a neighbor's dog, who always seemed to show so much excitement and joy whenever he was with Joanne. And it was seeing this emotional uh, expose that made Joanne realize that animals were feeling beings just like us. And this epiphany became the foundation for what she wanted to communicate to the world with her photojournalism. Her deep love for animals, along with her admiration for those who protected them, such as Diane Fossey and Jane Goodall, just moved her to the core and also guided her to her calling. And Joanne is mostly self-taught with mentoring from other exceptional photographers. And she supports herself through portraits, food, and event photography. But to fully express the purpose in her soul... She spends about half the year away from her hometown in Toronto working on documentary projects such as We Animals, which is all about how we are all animals and none of us should be made to suffer. She documents our relationships with animals, both the light and the dark, and she exposes these issues and relationships to the world through the lens of her constant companion, her camera. She's since done photographic work for Sea Shepherd, Farm Sanctuary, the World Society for the Protection of Animals, and the Jane Goodall Institute, among so many others. And I was privileged to be in the audience when she was presented the 2013 Compassion for Animals Award in Toronto this summer. She's also been awarded the Canadian Empathy Award in 2011. She was named one of CBC's Top 50 Champions of Change, She collected Farm Sanctuary's 2010 Friend of Farm Animals Award, 
and she was also listed in the HuffPost Women's website as one of the top 10 women trying to change the world. Woo! But it doesn't end there. Joanne is also the featured subject of Canadian filmmaker Liz Marshall's celebrated documentary, The Ghosts in Our Machine. And I want to read a recent uh, snippet of a recent Los Angeles Times review that reads, Many documentaries steeped in social or political issues get very insistent and often very noisy in expressing a point of view. Michael Moore is, of course, the model for effective, engaging, and defiantly in-your-face activism in this arena. In contrast, The Ghosts in Our Machine, a heartfelt meditation on animal rights, comes at you as a whisper. It depends on the persuasive powers of creatures great and small, in their natural habitat or in cages, to argue that we stop using them for food, clothing, research, and entertainment, that the cages be tossed away. There's a secondary story on activism itself and how a belief can shape a career and define a life. Both narrative threads are compelling in writer-director Liz Marshall's finely wrought new documentary. And this review goes on to say, While Marshall was filming, Joanne MacArthur was turning her photos and thoughts on the human-animal dynamic into a coffee table art book, We Animals, due out in December, which you can actually purchase now. Much of the narrative is built around MacArthur's discussion with editors, animal sanctuary workers, and other activists as she shapes her ideas and takes her pictures. Ghosts is urging us to rethink our relationship with the animal population, what they owe us, and what we owe them. Now, I had the opportunity to see this this, uh, beautifully filmed and really moving and powerful documentary when it was screening in my then hometown, Ottawa, Ontario. And I've since found out that uh, this beautiful documentary has made its, uh, made its way to the formidable list of 151 documentaries that qualified for the Oscar in the Best Documentary Feature category this year. So let's all pool our collective energy and catapult this very important film right to the top, okay gang? This is definitely a must-see film for everyone. And now, if that's not enough, Joanne's beautifully photographed and designed first book that was mentioned in the LA Times Review, entitled We Animals, has just been released by publisher Lantern Books. So I'd say that it's the perfect Christmas gift. Now, I had the opportunity to speak with Joanne in late September this year when the movie was screening in Ottawa. And I picked her up downtown, and she willingly jumped into my stinky dogmobile which is complete with mud, sand, uh, dog hair absolutely everywhere, and the very deeply embedded odor of wet dog that I have actually now resigned myself to never being able to get rid of. And as she sat down in the passenger seat, she looked at me with her compassionate eyes and beautiful warm smile. She turned to me and gently said, let's go somewhere and sit outside. I, all I can say is I was actually grateful that the filth in the car that I drive to chauffeur my canine companions around wasn't the least bit offensive to her. So while much of North America is now socked in with cold and snow, uh, with the release of this podcast, 
I want you to just sit there, close your eyes, and imagine a beautiful late summer day under the warmth of the blazing sun. And just to set you this up properly for you, um, we, uh, we met on a beautiful, gorgeous afternoon, and we decided to do this interview while sitting under the shade of a beautiful, big old tree in a local park by the Rideau River. And the sun was shining, the sky was a clear, clear blue, and I actually felt so much gratitude to be in the presence of someone with such a beautiful heart on such a beautiful day. And if there is any such thing as a perfect day, this was pretty darn close. Joanne is soft-spoken, she's humble, and she just oozes compassion from every pore on her body. You know, even she can't believe where her passion has taken her and how things have turned out with a documentary that's on the Oscar list, a new book, and a highly decorated photojournalism career. Joanne MacArthur is absolute proof that when you let your heart lead and you connect deeply with your life purpose, that the universe provides in ways that go well beyond our realm of mental comprehension. So when we look through the lens of compassion and the photographic eye of Joanne MacArthur, we remember the love that we have at our core for all living beings. Joanne is a true paradigm shifter who knows that we can change the world simply by following our calling. I'm truly honored to bring you yet another inspiring interview. So enjoy today's Chat in the Park with Joanne MacArthur. So we're sitting in, where, what park are we in even? Do you even know? No, I don't. We're sitting in a beautiful park on a sunny day. In Ottawa. Under half shade, half sun. And I'm sitting here with Joanne MacArthur, who's an amazing photographer. Amazing photographer. Thank you. With a new movie out too, Ghosts in the Machine, that I had the privilege of seeing just a couple of days ago. Yeah. And I still feel moved by it. I'm so glad. That's what we're trying to do. Uh, the ghosts in in our machine actually oh, because it, in our machine. Yeah. it's it's our machine it's meant to be you know instruct us that it, it's all of us who are taking part in this it's not a machine somewhere else it's ours we own it and we run it and we can change it i hope so i yeah. hope so too i'm trying <laughs> we're trying so hard <laughs> all right well okay yeah but you didn't start with the ghosts in our machine you've had a long journey as an investigative photographer that's right and You've seen some horrific things over the years, too. And, and you've chosen a really, really interesting route because your, your focus is on animals and exposing the, the relationship between animals and humans, mm-hmm. both the ugly side as well as the beautiful side. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I'm sure that there's probably a lot of people out there, like myself, who want to know what the journey was to sure. this particular calling. Well, uh, I'm a storyteller by nature, and I'm endlessly curious about people and the world and different countries and what motivates us and why we do the things we do. So I've always been in search of, uh, of that, and, uh, and that was fruitful, and that was interesting, and I learned a lot. But um, one of my mentors, Larry Towell, he's a Magnum photographer, and I interned with him. And he uh, kind of sharpened my focus. I was, you know, looking at stories here, there, everywhere. And he said, no, 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 
what's your point first of all like you have to look at what your point is and you have to do what you know and you have to do what you love and that's when a project will flourish um, don't go don't think you should just go to Afghanistan because there's a war there and that'll be interesting to shoot it will be interesting but that's not he's like Joe that's not you what do you love the most and what I love the most is helping animals and I've been like that since I was a kid and so I started um, you know close to home photographing uh, meat markets and zoos and circuses and uh, that quickly because I'm a traveler um, broadened into shooting internationally uh, shooting bushmeat in Africa or factory farms in Australia uh, it's pretty endless unfortunately the, the the amount of things that are happening and the number of things I can shoot so um, so with his advice and uh, embarking on this journey, I started the project, which is called We Animals. And uh, it's probably, you know, in its 12th or 13th year now, and I'm on the road a lot of the year, uh, anywhere where I'm needed or anywhere where there's interesting uh, things to shoot. And by interesting, I mean cruelty that needs to be exposed. And uh, the good stories, the stories of rescue and sanctuary, which also need to be told. So can you explain a little bit more about We Animals? that sure. project? Sure. Uh, about the time that I was thinking about photographing animals, uh, the, the title came into my head immediately. I didn't have to think, what will I call this project? It was, uh, it was instinctive. Uh, we animals, we are all animals. And when you frame it that way, there's less of a separation. And that's the problem with our society and consumerism is that animals are other, animals are invisible. We are at the top of the food chain. What I'd like for the We Animals Project to do is um, position us uh, at the center of an ecosystem, not at the top of it. We are, we are, all, we are all animals. And the photographs uh, aim to make that connection so that you know by photographing the eyes of animals and and uh, can, you know that, that connects us to them and opens up a dialogue and reminds us that in many ways, because we're all sentient, because we all suffer, and we all experience happiness as well, we're all the same. And uh, what to do from there, like that big question, right? Mm -hmm. And hopefully that makes us you know, change our hearts and minds and also reevaluate our treatment of these animals. And when we were, uh, when we were driving over to this park, I mentioned to you that you don't just photograph animals, you actually photograph souls. And there's a saying that says the, the eyes are the windows to the soul. And particularly when I watched that movie the other night, I was so connected to the eyes. And I know that there were so many other people that were as well. So can you just explain, when you photograph these animals, do you actually feel a soul connection when you're, when you're there with them? Because it, it it looks like you are part of them when you take these photos. Well, that is what I'm trying to do, and I guess there are a few answers to this question. I've always felt community with animals, uh, and I've always felt very comfortable in their presence, and that I could, you know, be calm and relate to them and look in their eyes and have them look in mine. The animals that we use uh, aren't used to that. You know, animals in factory farms and fur farms and, and zoos, people don't look into their eyes and I think that's a curious thing for them when it happens between between them and myself and I don't think that they're used to gentle voices either so when uh, I'll give the example of you know an animal in a factory farm a pig in a factory farm they're not looked at they're not seen so to have me in there crouching down and getting close and speaking gently to them and trying to make a connection they do connect I connect with them and they connect with me and 
um, that is crucial to my work because I can take pictures of this connection and then through me and through the camera anyone looking at those photos will also make the connection will also have the opportunity to look into their eyes and dot 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 what happens from there <laughs> and uh, the ghost in our machine is like that as well there's a, a lot of eye contact and close-ups of eyes and again it's the window to the soul and you can't deny their sentience when when you're looking at them that closely and they're looking at you and making that connection is hopefully what will create change so can we talk a little bit more about the movie because it was like I, I you know I've said this a few times now I still feel very affected by it very moved by it and I've been vegan now for 14 years and Yay. yeah vegetarian oh my gosh I can't even I'm not going to date myself mm-hmm. but a very very long time but even you know I'm always impressed when I can see a movie that still moves me after all of these years so I'm just wondering what was the inspiration for this whole project in the first place Uh, Liz Marshall is the director and she does social issue movies and usually human based and uh, environmental. She's an environmental filmmaker, uh, human rights filmmaker, Uh, but she had been vegetarian for a very long time and was just becoming increasingly interested in, in this issue, this huge uh, insurmountable issue because animal animals the use of animals is just so ingrained in our society and change is just really minimal at this point um, but she wanted to take this on and uh, for a few years she had been watching the We Animals Project and uh, I think we have a similar aesthetic um, we want to affect the mainstream we don't want to preach to the converted um, we want to make images harrowing and beautiful at the same time and she felt that I would be a sympathetic character in her film so she asked me if I would be the central the central human character of Ghosts in Our Machine and I guess I, I did decide a long time ago that I would put my face to the work and I would speak to the work and so this is an extension of that so I said okay I'll be in your film and wow it's been three years of intense work and a really amazing journey uh, especially because the film's out now and people are are really uh, loving it and affected by it and everyone wants to share it so uh, it, it's been great. Yeah, that was one of my next next questions. Actually, is what's the uh, overall reaction? Because you're, have you been in the states yet? No, uh, the U.S. theatrical release starts on November eighth in New York City. That's uh, really cool. And I remember yeah. when I was in Toronto, you mentioned that you followed the um, Oscar protocol mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, we want the film to be an Oscar qualifying film, and uh, Liz doesn't do thing in, things in half measures. She works eighteen hours a day, and she pushes pushes to you know get make the best possible the best possible film and with the maximum exposure so that's what she's going for and uh, the film's currently touring Canada it's doing very well Uh, a few bad reviews but mostly good reviews Uh, and the bad reviews are to be expected anyway because this is a highly sensitive and personal topic to address animal issues and animal rights is to um uh, you know, it, we're all complicit. It's to ad- address our uh, our consum- consumption habits and everything that we do and what we eat, and it, it addresses the culture and the economy. It's really ingrained. So a lot of people feel worried and they feel attacked when they hear about an animal rights film. But people are coming and and sharing it, and we do Q and A's quite a bit, and people are lined up afterwards to share their experiences or thank us or ask questions. It's been. I know, people are excited, and we're really excited, too. So am I. <laughs> so um, another thing I asked you in the car, too, was um, 
did you ever think that your life would turn out this way? (laughs) (laughs) No, because I'm not someone who plans long term. I just follow my nose and do work that's important to me. And I jump from project to project and I'm enthusiastic about everything. So I say yes to everything. Uh, as I said, yes to the film. And, uh, but I think, I think that things are working out really beautifully and I've been able to do meaningful work for a long time and now there's a meaningful film out and I think things happen like that when you're open to to life and the world and to saying yes and to opportunities and I'm, I'm pretty excited about you know life and opportunities in general and and uh, so I've been following my nose in that regard and here we are now with the book coming out and a big project and the film and people are really learning from these things and appreciating them. So it's quite a ride. It's very exciting. The book. Now, we haven't <laughs> talked about that. So now that you've uh, opened the door, do you want to tell, tell everybody a little bit sure. more about the book? Sure. Uh, every photographer's dream is to have a book, a photo book. And I am included in that. However... Um, Many years ago, I realized that my work would be far more effective and visible if I was working with campaigns, big campaigns around the globe. Um, you know, I could photograph in a mink, in different mink farms for two weeks, and then with a, an international or national campaign, hundreds of thousands of people would see the photos instantly. And this is much more useful to the animals than laboring over a book, which you know, possibly only a few thousand people will see. So I shelved, I shelved the book idea for some time. Um, but I've been working on campaigns for a long time. I have a huge body of work now on many, many different issues. And so I'm looking at the book again and thinking, well, I need different venues to get the wee animals message out. And, uh, so a book, a book is what I did and I've been working on it for over a year. I mean, I've been working on it for 15 years, but, uh, assembling it and writing it and editing it with, uh, Martin Rowe of Lantern Books and my designers, the goggles and, and so here we are, and the book comes out December 1st, and it's uh, people can pre-order it now, and there's huge enthusiasm and, and lots of pre-orders, and, it, and it's great because, you know, there's the We Animals Archive, which is being shared on social media globally every day. The book um, is coming out soon, so that's one more venue. There's a film that's great, one more way of, of outreach. And um, We Animals has a new branch as well. It's the We Animals Humane Education Program. So at humaneeducation.ca, you can see the programs. Uh, All these talks are age-appropriate, and I go to schools, universities, photo clubs, you name it, uh, libraries, community centers, and and share the stories that I've collected from around the globe over the last dozen years or so. And people love the stories. I mean, there's so many incredible individuals that I've met. You can meet them in the movie, in the book, in the Humane Ed programs. And, and they inspire people to, to care and to change. And the purpose of the, the humane ed programs are to widen our circle of compassion, to include animals. And people are doing that. It's good. It's very exciting. <laughs> this is awesome. Now, okay, so um, you said about pre-ordering the book. So can they pre-order it on the We Animals site? Weanimals.org okay. and uh, just backslash book. Uh, there's a link there. And just follow the link and that'll take you to the pre-order we're going to put all this stuff in the show notes but before that I want to I want to backtrack a little bit more because you you have exposed yourself to so much horror so much pain so much cruelty and suffering and in the movie you even mentioned that you had PTSD Mm -hmm. I'm wondering like 
I'm looking at you right now. I'm looking I'm looking into your eyes and you've just got such soft, gentle, soulful eyes. I mean, you've got those same eyes that you're photographing. How do you bring yourself back to that heart space that keeps you, you know, connected to that compassionate side within you so that you don't, you know, fizzle out? Oh, there are numerous ways to stay centered and focused. I didn't always know those ways, and I did struggle. Um, and I did suffer from PTSD and some depression because I was spending a lot of time in the field, uh, you know, months and weeks in factory farms and mink farms and, you know, at macaque breeding farms and you name it, in various countries. Um, and that would bring anyone down in a really big way, and I think that's just natural to feel really traumatized by these things. Anyone who's compassionate and would see the horror of this uh, should feel traumatized and, uh, people have to work in these places and I think they have to put up a lot of walls and it's really unhealthy, you know, to be able to kill and to, to treat animals this way. That's a whole other story. Uh, self-care, self-care is something I had to learn because I thought I was invincible until all of a sudden I wasn't. And I was waking up in the morning and I realized, wow, the first thought in my head is that of a pig in a gestation crate or, you know, this kind of this kind of thing and I realized that's no way to wake up in the morning and to have this this cloud of sadness around my head because I'm a very joyful person and uh, so therapy therapy was wonderful and quick I just needed some tools to to deal with sadness and to not live in sadness uh, there are a lot of reasons to be upset all the time uh, it's a huge emergency for animals there's a war on animals it's going on every second of the day to billions of animals it is overwhelming but to dwell in that place in our minds and in our heart will not help the animals it will not help us and we will burn out and then be ineffective so it can be a struggle when you're sensitive to all this stuff to to be happy but you have to be you have to um, have community with other family and activists and friends and people you love you have to nurture the things you love you have to I shouldn't say you I should speak about myself um, I had to focus on the good and not just spend all my time photographing the bad and um, photographing the bad affects people and people will make changes based on those images but they will also change based on all the positive stories because it uplifts them and it gives them hope and and purpose so focusing on the good and and taking some time out and I want to save the world that's my goal in life but I can't, and I can't do it all today. Maybe by the end of my lifetime, but can't. I'll help you. I'll okay, help you. I have a lot of help. Here. Exactly. Speaking of community, <laughs> you and I are here sitting in this park, but we're surrounded. We're we're in a city where there's tons of veg restaurants and tons of activists and amazing groups. So we're not we're not alone in this. And things are changing. I'm gonna see. I'm gonna see the end of bullfighting in this lifetime. I'm gonna see the end of bear bile farming in this lifetime. And, and that's because we're all working together and we have to stay focused on the good and not get mired in the, um, in the sadness because we won't be effective that way. I have to tell you something. I'm going to just, uh, de- just derail a little bit. Um, I had this, uh, I went to this retreat a couple of months ago mm-hmm. at the Omega Center down in New York. And uh, it was a shamanistic retreat. Something I'm not very familiar with is shamanism, but there's something very cool about it. So we did a lot of shamanistic journeying. And have you done that before? No, but I can imagine it's okay. intense. It was intense, a lot of drumming, and you just like it puts you in an altered state just through the music. Yeah. And I had this 
intense. Like I'm talking, it was, it was so real. It gave, like, I'm just getting shivers actually thinking about it, but it was so intense. And it, it was a manifestation that showed me the end of factory farming in 2015. Like 2015 was shown in That's big, soon. yeah, so I, I know. So I don't know. I don't know whether there's anything to it or not, but I thought I'd share that with you. I haven't shared that with anybody actually. You just, you just prompted that oh, well, little thing. So maybe is, we'll yeah. see. <laughs> Maybe we'll see it really soon. Yeah. Factory farming is not sustainable on every no. on every level on every level, and uh, I mean especially environmentally. Um, <laughs> we need to turn this place around, and uh, and we need to get rid of this insane pollution and all this food that we could feed we could feed to humans instead of instead of animals you know, that we just then slaughter and eat their bodies. We may as well just eat the food we're giving them, you know, for every reason that makes so much more sense. <laughs> so ludicrous when you think about it. Okay, so you talk about self-care. Let's go back to that a little bit. You talked about, um, you know, therapy helped you quick and it gave you some tools. Mm -hmm. What other other things that you do? Like I, I know that you spend a lot of time down at Farm Sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, places of peace. Uh, we all need those, whether it's with our dog or cat in our little nook in our bedroom. We all need places of peace, and sometimes they're farther farther afield. And for me, it's uh, communing with rescued animals because it's the exact opposite of, of, you know, the way animals are treated in our society in factory farms and being eaten and slaughtered. Um, and so being with them, but you know what? Also helping, like... How do I put this? Giving, like giving, gives back to us, right? Um, and a lot of people are just helped in general uh, spiritually by giving. And when you give to others, you get a sense of well-being and you feel good and it's purposeful. So, uh, volunteering. I mean, I've I do all sorts of volunteering. And for years, I mean, since I was 18, I was a volunteer dog walker. And if we can just get out and give back in small ways and little ways, small ways and big ways. That's really, really good for the soul as well. Yeah, it just fills the spiritual cup. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of my favorite sayings is Gandhi saying, be the change that you wish to see in the world. And I know for myself that whenever I feel any of that despair, or the anger, or any of that, or any of those negative crappy feelings that come with mm -hmm. exposing yourself exactly. to the darkness in the world, I remind myself, what is the change that I want to see in the world? And who must I be? to be that mm -hmm. so I love your take on that so what is the change you would like to see in the world and who do you feel you must be to exemplify that well there are a lot of changes I want to see in the world <laughs> but uh, with the with the humane education talks I always end them by saying that now now you've seen what I can do this is my skill my mm -hmm. skill is photography and this is what I do to make the world a better place but we all have our own skills that we can use and some of us are great letter writers and some of us are great this that and the other thing and some of us love volunteering with young people and old people and being outside or being inside I mean figure out what it is you're good at and you can always you can always use that use your skills we can't we can't be people we're not right like I like I said earlier I thought well I want to be a photographer so I'm going to go to Afghanistan and photograph the world well that's ridiculous that's not me at all and so and so you know look at what you love and and uh, and use that and look at what your skills are and use them to make the world a better place and we've become such uh, it's like we're not even citizens of the earth anymore. We're not a community. We're in our own little bubbles, watching our TV, doing our, our own thing for ourselves. 
it's just how we've evolved in, in this society and it's not healthy for us and it's not healthy for the environment or for the animals to be in these bubbles. We're citizens of the world and we need to, we have a responsibility to the earth to look after it and to the animals and all of our fellow living creatures here. So if we can you know, think about that and, and remember that and act that way a bit more, um, we'd all be giving back. I have another question uh, as you were talking. Um, so, okay, so you, you started photography fairly early on. But do you feel like there was um, a defining moment or a defining moments mm. that mm-hmm. brought you to realize that you could use your photography, like combine the, the photography with the activism? Mm. Well, I, I did have some great mentors pointing me in the right direction, mm-hmm. but there, there were definitely a few moments, uh, aha moments, if you will, um, where I realized that I saw the world differently than a lot of people did, and I thought my worldview was important, and I wanted to share that. And a really good example is I was in Ecuador in 1998. I was hiking around, and there was a house in the mountains with an open window, and there was a macaque monkey chained at the window, and he was trained to pick the pockets of, of people going by. And um, he would go through your bags, and people thought this was very funny, and people were standing around, and the monkey could neither get down from the window ledge really on either side because he was quite chained there but if he got any of your stuff he'd put it inside the house I guess the uh, the the owners of this monkey had trained him to do that and uh, people were standing around and taking pictures because this was so cute and it was so funny and look what this monkey is doing but I stood there and I watched in horror and I took pictures as well but not because I thought it was funny but because I wanted to show other people, look at what they did. Look at what they did to this poor animal. And I thought, this is fascinating. I feel like an island here with, um, with how we're reacting to this. And I said, no, no. I thought to myself, no, this is important. People need to know. And I'd like to continue photographing what I see and what, not other, what other people are not seeing. And that was part of it. That was part of it. You know, going to meat markets um, where everyone's walking around, doing their groceries, buying stuff, eating ham sandwiches. Um, they would buy pieces of meat, but I saw pieces of bodies of beautiful living animals who did nothing wrong and to deserve this kind of treatment and these, these deaths for no reason. And so I tried to photograph the dead animals or, you know, the monkey or the animals in zoos in such a way that would um, show what my point of view was on this. People uh, at zoos, for example, I'll be standing in a row next to a bunch of people at a zoo and they're taking photos of the gorilla because they think how neat, how cute. But I'm trying to photograph the sadness of the gorilla and the cheesy, stupid, painted background of a jungle that makes no sense to the, to the animal and does not enrich their life. Uh, so it goes on and on in that way, really, with my work and trying to document these things in an artistic way as well that doesn't repel people. Um, The subject matter might be difficult, and yet if it's a beautiful image, it'll draw them in. That's also really key. And your images are, I mean, they're definitely beautiful. And there's that one in particular that I found, well, there's so many, but there's one in particular that I've got in my mind right now of a woman on a cell phone holding a... A deer head? It's the iconic image of it's the iconic image of we animals. And it comes up time and time again. And it's a a photo of a woman walking in Manhattan and she's on a cell phone. She's a young hipster type. 
and she must have bought this deer head that had been on someone's wall at a garage sale or who knows who knows what the story is who knows where she got it or where she's going but the point is there's a deer in the city there's a deer in downtown Manhattan but the deer is dead and stuffed and what does she what does she think how did this deer get stuffed and why and for what reasons and what did it mean to the to the hunter to the taxidermist what does it mean to this girl there's so many questions in this image and um you know, it also represents our cognitive dissonance. The, the famous line right now is, you know, why love one but eat the other? And we all have, you know, dogs and cats and animals at home or with our relatives and we love them and we spoil them. But then there's all these other animals that we think who are as, as cognitive and as sentient as all the others. And yet we hunt them, we stuff them, we eat them, we put them on our walls, we find it funny or we just don't even care. So that image definitely poses a lot of questions, of those questions. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> okay, I'm going to shift gears a little bit, back to you a little bit more. Um, you've traveled, I mean, you've been all over the world. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you've seen a lot of things, you've experienced a lot of things, you've met a lot of people. But if you could, if you could pinpoint just two, two times in your life when you felt like, I don't know, miracles happened... Could you? It's when I was biking in Calcutta and I didn't die. <laughs> but that, I'm not sure. <laughs> okay, okay. Elaborate on that question, <laughs> and I'll. <laughs> what are the two biggest miracles in your life? Uh, <laughs> wow. I I don't know if I can answer it spon spontaneously. Um, the two biggest miracles, but I don't I don't see the miracles in my life as events that have happened things that have happened to me there I can't pinpoint specific things for me um, the greatest thing in my life is the gratitude that I remind myself to feel every single day um, for the life that I have and for the animals that I met and the people that I'm working with and my loving loving family and uh, so I think maybe little miracles every day are, you know, rem remembering to just be overwhelmed with all the love and all the goodness and all the change. Um, so that's really, that's really important. So that sounds pretty miraculous to me. <laughs> that works. It doesn't have to be events. <laughs> ah, yeah. Being, being thankful is absolutely key to uh, my life and all the work that I do and keeping me going and keeping me sane as well. Great. Yeah. Being grateful. And being thankful. That's amazing. I just, just, like, when I, I have to admit that when I first, you know, thought that I was going to meet, be meeting you, I thought I'd be meeting somebody who would be really worn down and tired. And I know, am, I really am. Trust me. affected by all of this work, but you're just so, you're so hopeful. Yeah. And on that note, what is it that gives you so much hope, especially because you, I mean, you're not one of these people who runs away from the darkness. You run into it. I run into it. You yes. run into it. <laughs> That's and my you, job. You wallow in it. You just, yeah, but you have so much hope. So what is it that gives you so much hope? Um, I love the world very deeply and I see a lot of good and I focus on the good. I don't know how to explain, you know, um, I think maybe I've learned in the last 10, 15 years of this work, what works for me emotionally, what I can wallow in and what I can't and what is sustainable and what's not. And I mean, not just me, but I think we're all a lot happier 
if we can be hopeful and not cynical. It's so easy to be cynical. And I think even Jack Layton, when he passed away in his letter to Canadians, he said, you know, hope is better than fear and happiness is better than sorrow and all these things. And I mean, it kind of comes down to that. And that was his, his deathbed letter, you know, and came down to some really simple ideas that are actually the most profound ideas and the most important um, I also heard something recently they said if you want to figure out how to live your life um, think of your eulogy like what would you want said what would you want said what would you say and I've thought a lot about that and okay well what do I want to accomplish in my life you know well there's this 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 a million things no 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 Joanne it's it's distill it you know make it make it more simple what is it well it's photography and it's animal rights and animal liberation no 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 go simple more simple than that and so I came down to one word and and that's how I mean it's a I work at it every day and this is how I try and live my life and that one word if there could be one word in my life it's kindness and if I can focus every day on kindness you know and joy and compassion then I'll have lived a good life and have done what I set out to do wow. <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> you really are amazing. Thanks. You're even more amazing than I originally thought. Like, She's so amazing. I gotta have her in my book. But you really are. Like you just you ooze. You ooze. I'm you ooze kindness. That's a good thing. I try you it. ooze think, kindness. Well, I think about it every day. Like it's so it's so important. And I mean, I'm like I get crabby and I get stressed and bitter but like you can't live in that and so I'm trying mm -hmm. to be conscious all the time of the important things so that's that's my word that is if it was a few months ago that was the word that is like the billboard the flashing billboard like that is the word that matters <laughs> so okay so what is your me time what is your like nourishing soul filling are you ready me time yeah <laughs> It's when I'm finished work at one in the morning and I go to bed with my book and a bowl of popcorn. Well, there you go. That works. <laughs> so it's like totally, first of all, yes, I work till one in the morning. And yes, I eat a huge bowl of popcorn in bed when you're supposed to be letting your body relax and detox. No, I go to bed with a bowl of popcorn. Nutritionally yeast. Yes, yes with nutritionally yeast. And my dog there. And then I just like, I'm reveling in happiness and uh, you know burn some incense or sit in my I have a little reading nook in my room and that's my me time and cycling is like the ultimate best ever me time wind in the face going faster than the cars that are stuck in traffic <laughs> <laughs> and, and being outside being with nature and being with animals and being with friends I get it yeah I get it I bet you I mean I bet you it's the same for a lot of people those those things that I've oh, said oh yeah Totally, yeah. totally. Some are more intense, some are, yeah, but yeah, some are like really into nature. But yeah, it's great. I love it. Oh, yeah. That's what I want. We're yeah. so removed. And it can be really intense. Like, just go ground yourself, take mm -hmm. your shoes off, or you don't even have to, and just stand under a tree and just feel, go through all your senses. You know, the smell, smell what, what the wind is like right now and what it's carrying and and uh, how the dirt feels, is it cold, is it warm, what's the sun doing on your face? Sensory overload that you don't even have to buy a ticket for. <laughs> it's so true. I mean, this has got to be an, the most inspiring office yeah. I've worked in right now for Good. one of these interviews so Good. far. Good, <laughs> It worked out. Okay, so 
you are like I've said you just you said kindness is your is your word I'm working at it and every day well you like I said you ooze it it's just it's coming out of you so what what how would you define like you just you, you can tell that you live a heart-centered life hmm. so how would you define that if you were to just if you were to use words to categorize heart-centered life for you what does that look like well I think that it means being a bit vulnerable and I do work that goes against the grain and I get attacked for that but that has to be okay and the message that I'm putting out there about cruelty to animals people don't want to hear it but I need to say it with big bold pictures and a loud voice and um, you're putting yourself out there to being critiqued it happens often but and, and there's a vulnerability there and you just need to it's just part of the it's part of the plan it's just it's part of it's part of the work uh, so heart-centered uh, you know doing what you believe in can be a challenge and it can be difficult and um, you may not have a lot of supporters but I think that it might start out that way I mean when I first went veg and became an activist my family was worried about me and and uh, there was a lot of pushback but when you keep at it and they're like oh she's serious <laughs> and she keeps doing this and there's progress and and so sticking with you know with um, being vulnerable and doing what I feel is right in the world um, has proven to work out for me and um, you know, people know me that way like I'm a heart on sleeve kind of person <laughs> and, and uh, it takes people aback uh, and it scares some people off but it also draws a lot of people in and it draws really great people in I think the world is starving for people like that. I mean, we're we're so separate. Look at our little friend here. Oh, hi, bud. What's up? Nice to see you. <laughs> <laughs> we're so separated in this selfish, predominantly selfish culture that we mm -hmm. live in. But I think underneath that veneer, people are craving yeah. that connection. They're craving that that they're craving people mm -hmm. who are live heart-centered, heart-on-sleeve kind of lives, to give them permission to, to open do it up well. just a little bit. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's a scene in the film where I say to a, one of the most famous photo editors in the world, I just say, and it's ridiculous, I say, I want to change the world. I'm trying to save the world. <laughs> and I laugh at myself when I say that. But, uh, you know, that can be just seen as so naive and so ridiculously hopeful. But it's pretty... Um, exciting as well to hear someone say that it's so vulnerable it's so hard on sleeve um, but like you said it allows people to maybe think that way a little bit too and maybe say it a little bit as well yeah and do you find that you know living this hard on sleeve kind of that this, this really open vulnerable life that um, um, it's do you feel like it's bigger than you because that's I, know. I, I know for myself mm -hmm. I feel like there's no I, no way I can't not do what I'm doing because that's, it's yeah, so much bigger than me 
Oh, well, I've never uh, put it in put it in those terms for myself, but I like that, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go with that. <laughs> I mean, definitely these issues that I'm tackling are much bigger than me, and it's what I'm born to do clearly, and I will always do it. Um, no, I don't know. I don't know really if I can expand on that very much. Just it being bigger than me. <laughs> you just you can't not do it. I guess I can't not do it. Yeah, there, no. that's 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 to me is it's mm-hmm. bigger than you. Mm-hmm. It's like. You've, you're fulfilling your calling. I th- you're, you're reminding me of Jane Goodall, who's, uh, who will be 80 soon, and she travels 300 days a year yeah. and speaks to thousands of people a day. Where she draws her energy is, you know, she, she, she gets a lot of positive feedback from her audiences, and she knows she's really affecting a lot of people, and she's a hard-on-sleeve person as well. And uh, I definitely draw inspiration from her. You know, if I am tired, <laughs> I'm 36. <laughs> like if I, <laughs> I look at her and I'm like, oh, wow, look at her. She's just pushing it because it's bigger than her. And it, she was put on this earth to say the things that she's saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you've done a lot of work for the Jane Goodall Institute. Have you, have you had much, um, much opportunity to actually work with Jane herself? I photograph Jane a lot. And uh, it's been, yeah, it's been great because um, when she's passing through town in Toronto, I'm always the volunteer photographer to shoot the events and to shoot the talks. And, uh, and that gives me an opportunity to study her. I've been studying her for, I mean, since I was a kid, really. But since I've been photographing her for a decade now, I get to just memorize the things she says and the way she says them, her delivery and her heart and her, you know, she's unflinching. And she says things that are going to scare people. But she says them like while she's looking into your eye, without blinking, and and uh, and she's also so gentle. And I've learned a lot from her. I like try and do what she does. <laughs> <laughs> she's a great mentor to have. She is. Okay, one last question. This is my favorite question to ask everybody, and I'm really eager to hear what you oh, have to I, say. Oh, I hope I do well. Jeez, no pressure. <laughs> if you had a magic wand and can wave it over the planet. What kind of world would you create? I know it's going to be beautiful just by your photographs. Okay, well, this is an imaginary scenario for me uh, because I, I don't have a magic wand and things aren't going to change overnight. Well, you, have one. you have one right now. I'm giving you one. Okay, so I have my magic wand. Okay. Can this just be super selfish? Like... Totally, <laughs> totally. Okay. There's no right or wrong answer. Okay, this, isn't, this is a personal answer for the record. I would wake up in the morning and I'd wake up next to a sheep (laughs) and I'd give the sheep a kiss and say, oh, hi. And telepathically, the sheep would say, nice to see you, Joe. And then I would, you know, go out into the city and do the things that I do outdoors in a day. And there would be animals everywhere and they would all be living happy lives in trees or wherever they want to be. And none of them would be afraid of humans because humans would, they'd live in a world where humans respect them and won't hit them with cars and won't kill them and um, will acknowledge, would acknowledge that it's not just our space. This isn't just a planet for humans. This is a planet for all of us. And an ant has just as much of a right to be here as a human does. And I'd live in a world where um, that was the norm and so we didn't kill anyone. We'd never kill anyone and animals would feel at peace and at home. And 
we could nurture a community with them, which is, I mean, the joke about waking up next to a sheep, but like we, <laughs> we'd, um, we'd have community with them and we could, they'd just be around, you know, it would be a relationship. It wouldn't be us, us and them anymore. It's so us versus them. We don't understand them. We've been taught through science and everything and culture that they're over there and we're here and there's a wall between us but no you can communicate with animals and I don't mean in like a telepathic you know whatever no I don't want to use those words but like in a in a flaky kind of way we're all alive and we're all sentient and we all deserve and have earned the basic rights to life of freedom and not being harmed and and being cared for and respected so you know uh, we'd all be sharing this space in a really easy, beautiful way, and they would be free from harm. Yes. <laughs> That's so beautiful. What do other people say? Never mind, it doesn't matter. <laughs> They're, all the answers are pretty similar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh. They're pretty similar. Huh. That's so beautiful. That is so beautiful. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great to just like walk up to like there's a sheep there, there's a raccoon there. We're like, hey, what's up, man? You look awesome. Enjoy that tree, you know? That looks like a good acorn. Good for you. Want some of my sandwich? And they'd be like, sure. Do do do. This is a vegan sandwich. You can have some. Everything's safe here. Oh, that's great. So, thank you so much, Joanne. Thanks. Thank you so much for for the work that you do for your heart on your sleeve and you too and you too thank you we're sisters in that way yeah we're on this similar path kind eyes (laughs) wow there you go joanne macarthur photographer author documentary subject and kindness exemplified I hope you feel as inspired as I did when I was in her presence that amazing afternoon. Joanne MacArthur is truly a gift to the world and also a reminder of the kindness that we all share in the core of our beings. And as I mentioned in the intro to this interview, Joanne has a lot going on that I'll share in the show notes on my website at devilsarco.com. So please head on back to my website for all the info you need to connect to her beautiful work. I'll be posting the links for the We Animals Project, as well as a link to her beautiful new book. And there's also going to be a link to the We Animals Humane Education Program, and, of course, a link to the Ghosts in Our Machine website. And when you're there, please remember to join the expanding community of conscious paradigm shifters when you're at my website. And when you sign up, as I say every week, remember you have immediate access to a really powerful free meditation that I created just for you that's going to help you connect to your own life purpose. So that like Joanne, you just uh, you plug into the power of your heart and you help us all move out of this crazy paradigm and into something that we're truly meant to be. We're truly meant to be living in a peaceful paradigm because that's who we are at our core. And with that, we end another Unplugged podcast. May we continue to open our hearts on our evolutionary journey of awakening to the point where our heads just 
can no longer make sense of it all. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, live with passion, live with purpose, change the world. Happy holidays, everyone. May they be filled with peace, love, and joy.